In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Your family, we have a, a question we should ask ourselves every day, but in this time, in this place, in our day and age, so much more important to ask this question now. Your family, at what point do incrementally greater impositions on our God-given religious freedom become intolerable? At what point do we ever say enough is enough? At what point does it become intolerable? At what point? You'll know we've gotten to the point when you're no longer allowed to ask the question. When the cancel culture, when the media giants crush any opposing views, when they delete from the internet opposing views, when even that's in the secular world and in the church, when you're not even allowed to ask questions lest you be removed or reassigned, you will know enough is enough when you see that happening as we're seeing in our very day and age. So at what point does it become intolerable? Let us take today's martyrs. Let us help them guide us in answering that question. Let us reflect on today's martyrs to answer the question. Your family, today we celebrate the martyrdom of a mother and seven sons, all of whom were tortured and then horrifically executed rather than violate God's laws. What an amazing coincidence on the very day when tyrants in our own government and around the United States command and threaten us for violating one of their arbitrary and capricious orders, all based on the fear-demic. Now in Wisconsin, a new order to wear dehumanizing, anti-Christian, godless face masks in church and every other place outside our homes. Dear family, let me be clear. It's a personal choice. I have no objection to anyone personally choosing to wear a mask. If, it, if, you, if you're especially if you're one of the vulnerable class. And let me tell you, you know, I am uber vulnerable class. The question is on the table is when is enough enough? At what point does a government imposition of that become intolerable? In Wisconsin, now we have an anti-Christian godless face mask order. You don't have to take my word about the godlessness in today's gospel, in a section entitled Courage Under Persecution, Jesus said, Beware of the leaven that is the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. I tell you, my friends, listen to this. Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, but after that can do no more. Be very much afraid of those who can kill the soul. How do you kill the soul? You destroy faith. That kills the soul. We should be on guard, ever vigilant. They're prowling like a lion, as our great apostles tell us, waiting to devour us. We should be very vigilant, very much aware of anything that undermines our faith. 
So as we go through the martyrdom of the Maccabees, the mother and seven sons, keep in mind, too, our meditation from yesterday. That truth is a 9-0 vote on the Supreme Court of the U.S. Politics and opinions are 5-4 votes. In Wisconsin, truth is a 7 to nothing vote. Politics and opinions are 4-3 to three votes. And then realize how politics and opinions found their way into an assault on our freedom of religion, where Evers publishes an order less than 48 hours before he knew a new left-wing judge would take office on the Wisconsin Supreme Court, wherein he might achieve a four to three majority of politics and opinions. We're not dealing with truth with this new order. We're dealing with politics and opinions. And the immediate imposition was highly orchestrated to make it impossible for a challenge to this new executive order to be filed in a timely manner before his political opinion took effect. With that in mind, let us look to the example of the Maccabean martyrs. That true story begins thusly. It also happened that seven brothers with their mother were arrested and tortured with whips and scourged by the king to force them to eat pork in violation of God's law. One of the brothers, speaking for the others, said, what do you expect to learn by questioning us, we are ready to die rather than transgress the laws of our ancestors. At that, the king, in a fury, gave orders to have pans and cauldrons heated. They were quickly heated, and he gave the order to cut out the tongue of the one who had spoken for the others. Isn't that what's being done figuratively? when the media giants are, are cutting out, eliminating, erasing, deleting any opposing opinions. Cut out the tongue of the one who had spoken for the others to scalp him and cut off his hands and feet while the rest of his brothers and his mother looked on. When he was completely maimed, but still breathing, the king ordered them to carry him to the fire and fry him. So it went for the first six brothers, each accepted such martyrdom for the sake of faith in Almighty God. And after the sixth had died, the king threw down the ultimate temptation to the seventh and last son. Quote, the king appealed to him, not with mere words, but with promises on oath. As you know, kings making oaths carried such weight that when Herod made an oath to his stepdaughter, he had to fulfill it by executing St. John the Baptist. You remember how that went? Herod's stepdaughter said, give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed, but because of his oaths and the guests who were present, he ordered that it be given. And he had John beheaded in the prison. So the king here appealed to the youngest seventh son, making an oath, which the youngest son knew he would have had to honor. He made an oath, not with mere words, but with the promises of an oath to make him rich and happy. If he would abandon his ancestral customs, as always, can't expect leaders to have a brain in their head. What living after that day 
does he honestly think that that seventh son who had betrayed his faith, but also had to live with the memory of seeing his six brothers tortured and executed, does he really think, is it even remotely possible that he could ever be happy? What's this king thinking? Well, clearly he's not. Seems they rarely do when you look at 4,000 years of human history. Make him happy. And we'd make him his friend. He wanted to be friends with that guy. And then trust him with high office. Whereupon the youngest replied. Let's ponder what he said. What is the delay? I will not obey the king's command. I obey the command of the law given to our ancestors through Moses. But you who have contrived every kind of evil for the Hebrews will not escape the hands of God. We indeed are suffering because of our sins, but you won't escape almighty God. Now watch how amazing it is that this youngest brother, having just watched his six older brothers put to death in a horrific way, confessed that that he confessed that they and he and the rest of the Hebrews, quote, are suffering because of our sins. I don't know about you, but I don't really look into the mirror very often and say all this crazy that's going on around us is because I've sinned. I should. We all should. First Samuel 8, we get the leaders we vote in that we allow to remain in office. We get what we deserve. We're suffering because of our own sins. Dear family, this is a most excellent teaching on the sacredness of suffering. And it's really tough to call it unjust suffering. You look at those seven brothers. See, that was kind of unjust. But the brother himself refutes that proposition. He says, we are suffering because of our sins. So it was, so it always will be. But even if we weren't sinful, I've yet met one who wasn't, myself included. Even if we could dare to call our suffering unjust. Even if we dare to suggest that we have to pick up our own crosses to suffer for those sins of others. Before any of us get too indignant about that, let us never forget that Jesus only is asking us to do what he did. Suffer the most unjust suffering of all for us sinners. So after acknowledging this younger brother, after acknowledging that he and his brothers suffered on account of their own sins, the brother continued, like my brothers, I offer up my body and my life for our ancestral laws, for my faith, imploring God to show mercy soon to our nation. Isn't that beautiful? He didn't say, I'm offering it up, suffering, suffering this martyrdom so that maybe I'll get to heaven. I've often said that might be my only hope, but he's doing it. Look at this, imploring God to show mercy, not just, not on me, I'm about to die, but on, on my nation. And by afflictions and blows to make you confess, he's talking to the king now that he alone is God. At that quote, the king became enraged and treated him, if it's even possible, treated him even worse than the others. 
since he bitterly resented the boy's contempt. There's your cancel culture then. Look at that. We're living this. Thus he too died undefiled. That should be all our goal. He died undefiled, putting all his trust, not just a little bit. Listen, when you've seen the six go before you, you're putting all your trust in the Lord. And he did. And then, of course, last of all, after her sons, the mother was put to death. How appropriate on this very day that we celebrate their martyrdom. Here again, how that day of infamy began. It also happened that seven brothers with their mother were arrested and tortured with whips and scourges by the king to force them to eat pork in violation of God's law. Family, all they had to do. All they had to do was eat a little pork. That's all. That's all the king commanded them to do. And let's be clear on something, dear family. Think about this. Thou shalt not eat pork was not on the tablets when Moses walked down the mountain. Let's wrap our minds around that. That that command was not one of the ten. And then look what happened when they refused. Would we be willing to put up with such severe persecution, even for the sake of the Ten Commandments God gave to Moses around our country. 75% of Catholics, baptized Catholics, don't even bother to come to Mass. That's actually one of the Ten. Your family, our entire culture, the vast majority of people, the many are steeped in contumacious disregard for the Big Ten much less some dietary restriction not written in stone. By the way, do you know and understand that that is where our idiom comes from, written in stone? It comes from the Ten Commandments, written by God's own finger, in stone. And the idiom means, I looked it up, carved in stone, set in stone, written in stone, describes something that cannot be changed. Does that Third Commandment say Thou shalt keep holy the Lord's day. Can't change that. It's carved in stone. It's something permanent and immutable. Again, it cannot change. Something that is absolute. The prohibition against eating pork was not written in stone by the very finger of Almighty God. Yet look what those seven sons and mother were willing to endure For the sake of the law, nonetheless, what faith, what courage. Your family, our entire culture, the vast majority of people, the many, are so steeped in contumacious disregard for the Big Ten, much less some dietary restriction not written in stone, that the many readily accept the imposition of arbitrary edicts, regardless of how contrary they might be to humanity. Let's apply the Maccabean martyrs, St. John the Baptist, and Jesus' teaching to what we're facing today. Because what we are facing today is a much larger issue than the godless dehumanizing order to wear a face mask. What we are facing is yet another incremental challenge to our freedom of faith, to our freedom of religion, 
and it's being forced down our throats through virtue signaling and threats of punishment. Around our country, we're hearing the same refrain outside the church and inside the church, the virtue signaling, the capitulation to temporal regimes justified by such language as we must do this, given our reverence for life and human dignity. Oh, we must. Let us all comply with these regulations and, of course, be strong and take courage when we do. Kind of ironic, don't you think? To speak of reverence for life, to be strong and take courage on the day we hear of a mother tell her seventh son, her seventh and last son, quote, do not be afraid of this executioner, but be worthy of your brothers. Be worthy of their faith. Be worthy of your own faith and accept death. So that in time, she says this to him, in this time of mercy, I may receive you again with your brothers. Your family, that's faith. That's being strong. That's being courageous. Reverence for life. What does that even mean? Temporal life? How about eternal life? How about if we reverence eternal life? Which means then we stand up and speak out against any attack on anything that undermines eternal life. Kind of ironic that on this same day we celebrate the martyrs who would not comply with a simple request to eat a little pork. That we are being required to comply with another incremental dictate all based upon the big lie of the fear-demic. And most ironic of all, we find shepherds of the Catholic Church urging us, indeed commanding us, to submit to yet another incremental dictate of the kings of earth. All based on a lie that sounds very much like Lucifer in the garden. But the snake said to the woman, you certainly will not die. Stay home for that first 14 days. Stay at home. Here's an executive order. Stay at home. You certainly will not die if you do. What does that do to our lives of faith? What does it do? This is so creepy. I saw it with my own eyes just yesterday. What does it do to a generation of people ages 2 to 22? I say 2 because before 2 you can't you don't have much of a memory. But what does it do to a generation ages 2 to 22 that we that who now are operating under the normalization of government control over basic human nature? Our freedom to breathe freely, our freedom to be in social contact with one another, with our fellow man. If everything you are seeing in this fear-demic is the full flowering of the Russian era. Never forget, dear family, never forget. This whole thing began almost five full months ago based on the claim, the sole justification was that we had to flatten the curve so we would not be overwhelmed like Italy. Flatten the curve, flatten the curve, flatten the curve. Respirate, well, ventilators, ventilators, ventilators. We got plenty of ventilators. Two weeks, the science experts told us. Two weeks, and then we'll know who's sick and who isn't. So the government ordered churches to only have nine people present. But Walmart could have a thousand milling about. All without face masks for five months. Your family, it never was and never could be for the purpose of eliminating the curve 
We can expect no matter what, that more and more people would get sick. We can only drag it out all the longer, but they're still going to get sick. We can expect that the very compromised might die. Not everyone does. Gosh, there was a 103 year old woman that survived, came back from it. Sooner or later, until there's herd immunity, we cannot eliminate the curve. And no vaccine is going to do it either because we, the, 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 the virus mutates. And I don't think there's been a vaccine yet ever produced by any human that can eliminate something like this. And yet five months later, we're still hearing people acting like, oh, suddenly wearing a mask essentially will eliminate the curve. We don't have to worry about it, the curve anymore. That's a done deal. That is history. But wear a mask. I've heard it. Just, oh, just wear a mask for eight weeks. Just wear a mask for eight weeks and everybody will be safe. We got it under control. That's a big lie. They're making it up as they go is what it amounts to. You cannot eliminate the curve. We are deluded if we think we can eliminate the curve. So why? Why are these successive and continuing and incremental edicts being forced upon us? And, and listen, like I said, if, if anyone dares to voice a contrary opinion, even one based on science, and there's plenty of science on the other side, their voices are censored immediately. Their voices are cut out of the public square. They are silenced. This is not a conspiracy theory, dear family. This is fact. Yet now we are hearing outside the church and inside the church, a human command, wear a mask. You care about other people. Listen, if I'm wearing a mask it's because I'm afraid of getting sick. That's why we do it. That was the original justification. That's always been the justification. But now they're saying, oh, no, they're virtue signaling. You better wear a mask because you might get somebody else sick. No, if that person is chosen to wear a mask, I can't get him sick. Oh, just do it, people say. It's a virtuous thing today. It's respect for life. It's reverence for life. No, dear family, that is not what is going on at all. Stay-at-home orders, anti-social distancing, mandatory face masks is an utter and complete disrespect for life. That for the sake of some who will get sick anyway, we shut down the global economy, causing incomprehensible and spectacularly horrific human suffering and death. You don't hear them talking about that, do you? Shutting down the global economy, causing incomprehensible and spectacularly horrific human suffering and death and, and robbing people of their humanity, of their communion with one another. Causing incomprehensible and spectacularly horrific harm to faith in eternal life. We're all focusing on temporal life, aren't we? How about we focus on eternal life? Because we're all going to get there sooner or later. And if it's sooner, glory be to God. All this incremental imposition of edicts is based on a big lie proven incontrovertibly over the last five months, proven that the alleged scientists, they're not infallible. They don't know what they're talking about. And they are instituting anti-human policies that assault us and degrade us and harm us in incomprehensible and spectacular ways. They found this is not just some no big deal. What are you talking about, Father? Five months later, the fear-demic that they have inculcated in the world has destroyed the world as we know it and harmed us beyond any measure we can make. 
It is not no big deal wearing a mask, forcing us to wear a mask any more than the Maccabees eating a little pork was no big deal. If only it all comes down to this, at what point do incrementally greater impositions on our God-given freedom to be human, to be in communion with one another? At what point do these incrementally greater impositions become intolerable? Have we asked the question? Do we dare ask the question? Are we allowed to even ask the question? At what point does it become intolerable? Are we allowed to even ask the question? Or are we going to be shut down in the public sphere? Let us take today's martyr's guide. And let us take today's martyrs as the guide for us in answering that question. At what point does it become intolerable? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.